Hey guys, I just wanted to get in front of this episode to know there's going to be adult language, uh, some minor adult themes, um, some trigger warnings for elder abuse and uh, animal abuse, and I want to also do a quick thing where uh, the traditions I will be talking about today are not ones that I have specifically grown up with, and I have gone out of my way to do as much careful research as I can, um, and I hope that I don't offend anyone, and I'm going to start off by just saying I'm going to pronounce so many things probably incorrectly, and I apologize for that at this time. Uh, this is in no way meant to judge the Shinto Buddhist or animist religions. Uh, this is coming from a place of respect and uh, interest. Uh, thank you. Let us speak of shape-shifting things like stone swallows or inkbrush crickets. The man who created this book, Toriyama Sekian, has enjoyed himself in the field of art for some years. His very brush shapeshifts. In fact, there is nothing in all creation it cannot invoke. What are the creatures that we call yokai? And how have they permeated so deeply not only into being objects in our everyday world, but showing up in all of our various pop cultures. In today's episode, we're going to look at the primary sourcing of some encyclopedias of yokai and the ways they have influenced many different things that we've come to know today, here on Cavalcade of Tales. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Cavalcade of Tales. I'm your host, uh, Drew, the Millennial with a History Degree. Uh, today is a fun one. Uh, it's something that I find incredibly interesting and uh, just suck up all the knowledge that I can whenever I can find some. Uh, today we're talking about the Japanese yokai. Um, that is a very, very loose term, as many people who have looked into it know. Uh, my goal today is to do my best to give a quick definition here at the beginning and then I have a very special source that I'll use to talk about them and uh, maybe do some fun compare and contrasting with uh, different video games and other media giants that we all know. Uh, if you were born between uh, before 1990 and was a small child in the uh, mid to late 90s, uh, this episode is going to be a treat for you, let me tell you. Uh, before we get into the compare and contrast, I think I'm going to start by trying to provide a small definition and uh, diving really into uh, the primary source I'll be using today um, as a historian of uh, having a primary, even just a translation of a primary source is just oh, so good. Um, so yokai are these sort of little... Japanese see this is where I run into the issue already because they're cre they can be creatures they can be objects they can be deities it's has to do with uh, some of the Shintoist and animist belief that all objects have a soul um, in fact there's a whole classification of yokai 
which are objects that come alive once they reach their 100th birthday. Um, certain, uh, there's also like subsectors because you have like Oni, which are ogres or demons. You have uh, Mononokes, which are just strange objects. You have Bakemono, which are things that transform. And then you have Ak Ayakashi, uh, which are spooky things. Uh, I will uh, also very quickly point out that uh, Japanese is not my native tongue, and I will do my absolute best not to completely butcher uh, any of the names of the following things. Um, my main source today is the translated works of uh, Toriyama Sekian, uh, a man who did illustrated encyclopedias to talk about yokai uh it's so goddamn interesting i i could go on and on but i'm gonna try to restrain myself because i don't want these to go more than like an hour and i have a lot to cover today uh so the uh what we're covering today is only part of a work so I'm going to use the English name for the book itself, and then I will do my best to use only the Japanese names of the actual creatures. But this is the Illustrated Demon Hordes Night Parade, Volume 1. This work came out in 1776. Um, for people who wish to uh, peruse and look at what I'm using, I am using the Japandemonium Illustrated book. Translated by Hiroka Yoda and Matt Alt. It's very fascinating. I highly suggest it. It's a great read. It's super interesting. The illustrations are gorgeous. Um, it's got, uh, it's just, it's so good. Uh, 10 out of 10. So this is going to be the primary source I'll be working from today. Um, so the reason this episode is going to be super fun for the, my uh, 90s brethren is because uh, the yokai and these monsters are a very heavily inspiration for uh, the 90s pocket monster craze. Uh, Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. Uh, they all had that little bit of kind of yokai flair where they took the concept of like, we are always surrounded by these monsters but they're not necessarily here to hurt us they're just kind of here to do what they're supposed to uh and then in pokemon uh, you uh, take them and uh, make them fight which is a bit of a dick move but we can get past that uh <laughs> whereas in like digimon they're all like it's honestly i don't know what's going on with digimon i just know that i love it um for today's episode, what I've done is I've taken a little over half of the yokai in this volume. I have, I will talk about how Sekian has described them. Uh, I found a collection of resources and tales about yokai, um, which have been combined by the person who does yokai.com. That was a excellent source that I used for this set. Uh, the person does great illustrations and I really appreciate how he blends the fact that there are so many traditions and that 
yokai have different stories and different prefectures and just kind of attempts to blend them together and understands that since this is folklore, it's very malleable. Uh, and then I compare him to a Pokemon. And... But not only that, there's another game. So, in the late 2010s, uh, a new Pocket Monster craze came out. And this craze is called Yokai Watch. This one is specifically... Uh, it's set in a sort of a... Well, actually, it's set that it's sort of a Japan, because in the third game, they go to America. But it talks about this boy who finds an old, weird watch, and it allows him to see that there are yokai everywhere, and he can become friends with them. And it's this really, it's, you know, your standard, you know, catch monsters, make them fight, make them your friends, gotta catch them all, gotta catch them all, cute, marketable creatures kind of thing. Uh, but it's also really interesting because a lot of them are based on actual yokai. And if they're not directly based on yokai, there are a quite a few that like serve the same function. So it's an interesting way to see how the folklore has changed and is being spread to this newer generation in this uh, really cute game series. Um, I have personally played the first two games. I'm working through the third one. Um, before people get jealous, I bought the third one on the eStore. I did not get one of the uh, physical copies. They are incredibly rare because they released the game in America right before they uh, took the 3DS behind the barn and shot it. So those are going to be my sources for today. Alright, so let's get into this. The first uh, yokai we'll be looking at is the Kodama. They are tree spirits. Um... One uh, depiction of uh, Kodama that a lot of people are familiar with is in the Studio Ghibli film Princess Mononoke, which also is very interesting how Mononoke is a term for a classification of strange things. In this, uh, the main character, uh, Ashitaka, uh, when he is traveling through the forest and he's helping the people of Irontown, uh, they see the Kodama and the residents of Irontown are scared of them because they think they're more like western um, spirits of the forest where it's like a like a will-o'-the-wisp where they're meant to mislead and make you more lost uh, but then Ashidaka's is like no they're the sign of a healthy forest they're just tree spirits um, they are usually the tradition says that they are what happens when a tree reaches 100 years old, uh, which is honestly not that hard for some trees. It may be a little harder in uh, an island nation uh, where resources are slightly limited, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, it is said that villagers who find a tree that they believe have a Kodama in it, their Kodama are very helpful for communities. So what they'll do is they'll honor it with a sacred rope uh, and tie it around the tree. The rope is called a Shimanawa. And it's sort of like this way of being like, this is our sacred tree. This is the one that will give us prosperity and cutting it down is like the biggest fucking no-no. Um, so the Yokai Watch connection is a little less great 
because there wasn't uh, some of these aren't going to be one-to-one so sometimes I won't have it'll be like a little bit of a stretch for why I chose the yokai watch character or the uh, Pokemon that I've chosen because although some of them are kind of you can see the through lines some of them are you have to make some imaginary leaps uh, for yokai watch for example for the Kodama I there's no real tree spirit one in that game because it's very urbanized um so you you'll have like car yokai and you'll find and like some of the places you find them are like under vending machines or in dark alleys uh but the female protagonist in the game in english her name is katie but in japanese her name is kodama so that's just a cute little thing for uh, a comparable Pokemon, I chose Celebi, Pokemon 251. Uh, Celebi is known as the Garden of Ilex Forest, uh, also the vote of Voice of the Forest, uh, famous for its depiction in the fourth Pokemon movie, Pokemon Forever. Uh, in Pokemon Sword, uh, the Pokedex entry talks about the fact that, quote, this Pokemon has the ability to move through time. Uh, records describing it as a forest deity can be found from many different eras. Um, and then in Shield, it talks about how, quote, it bolsters grass and trees with its own strength, and it can even heal wounds. Um, oftentimes, when you're looking at nature spirits, you get a lot of this healing, helpful power of nature leading back to uh, Ashitaka, where, you know, the Kodama are a sign of a healthy forest, and as long as you don't mess with them, you'll be fine. And it's kind of, it's a cute little, it's a cute little buddy. The next yokai uh, isn't always as friendly. Uh, these are the Tengu. They are bird-like creatures that live on mountaintops. Uh, they're martial artists and uh, tricksters. Uh, there are multiple classes of Tengu. It, for the purposes of this episode, um, the two main ones that will be dealt with are the bird-like and the human-like. The bird-like Tengu uh, are the ones who are more of the religious icons. They're the ones that are worshipped as these mountainous spirits. Uh, they are traditionally associated with ravens. Uh, and then there are humanoid versions, which are known as the long-nosed Tengu. Um, so the best way to describe this is like there's a sort of Tengu mask where what it is is it's a, you have a traditionally a man's face standard features but they have a long pointy nose that's sort of like a cylinder and that is the known as the tengu nose uh, they're usually uh, decorative faces um, uh, tengu are very popular uh, for their skill in battle it is said that the famous martial artist of legend Minamoto no Yoshitsune was taught everything that they knew from a Tengu that they trained on the mountaintops with. Um, they can be malevolent forces, um, going even as far as to uh, revel in sacrilege, tormenting monks, robbing temples, seducing clergy, and attacking nuns, which is uh, not that great. 
their biggest weakness, however, is the fact that uh, Tengu tend to be overconfident in their own abilities. So they're kind of just like, we are fighters, we take what we want. And what you can kind of do like mental gymnastics, where they you trick them while they're trying to trick you, and you'll get the information you want. Um, or you can kind of trick them into giving you the information for like a shiny object, kind of harkening back to that Raven-esque aspect of the game. That's not game, the creature. Well, sorry, reading ahead. So, the connection to Yokai Watch is a lot stronger in this one because there is just a straight up Tengu Yokai. The Yokai and Yokai Watch are the more humanoid ones. They have some bird-like features, but they maintain the long cylindrical nose. Uh, they also hold an uchiwa, which is a leaf fan used it, uh, uh, often to depict their ability of windstorms or to harken back to the bird-like nature. Um, in addition to the tengu, there is a secondary class known as a flengu, which is similar to the tengu, but it has like an autumnal color scheme. But uh, its big thing is that instead of making windstorms, it likes to punish humanity by causing drifts. This one has a less solid Pokemon comparison because there isn't too many weird long-nosed Pokemon. and Some Pokemon are good, some Pokemon are bad. It's a whole weird thing. The Pokemon I chose was uh, Zapdos, particularly the Galarian variant that is introduced in Sword and Shield. This is Pokemon 145. Um, this came out in the expansion pass. It is a fighting flying. And it uh, is said that this Pokemon likes to reside on mountaintops and only uh, moves from its spots when it senses powerful foes. According to uh, the Pokedex and Shield, quote, one kick from its powerful legs will pulverize an entire dump truck. Our next yokai is the, uh, also lives in the mountains. This is the Yamauba or Yamamaba which is the sort of mountain-dwelling boogie woman, or uh, forest witch. Uh, similar to kind of like a Baba Yaga figure, uh, if we want to do more uh, Studio Ghibli um, comparisons in... Oh, what's it called? Spirited Away. The uh, ruler of the Baos house is called Yababa. And she is directly associated uh, based off of Baba Yaga. Miyazaki has gone on record saying that. Um, but she also has a sister who is very similar, and she's a forest witch. Um, also fucking hashtag goals, because uh, to be a forest witch who either helps or hurts people, depending on your mood or like the direction of the wind, and just not having to deal with people, it's ugh. What a fucking dream that would be. That was a tangent. So, um, the Yamabab, Yamauba started getting likened to nature deities around the 15th century. Uh, there was a play by Komparu Zenshiku, uh, where in their play Yamauba, she is 
similar to Mother Nature, where she is the one who brings the snow at the beginning of winter and then uh, starts the blossoms during the beginning of spring. This yokai we have a bit of an origin story for, and if uh, I'm going to say right now, this is the part where if you are triggered by elder abuse, you might want to skip ahead a few minutes. Um, not a few minutes, probably like a minute and a half or so. Uh, so, one of the ways that a Yamaba is made is that when a family would experience a lot of economic hardship, you have to do what you can to keep the family alive. And oftentimes that means casting out a family member in order to save the rest of them. Because what's the point? Which it's kind of that like trolley problem sort of thing. Like which is better? The five of us dying faster or sending one person off to their death so that the other four have a better chance of survival. Oftentimes when this method was needed to be taken, it was either the newborns or the elderly who were sent off to save the family in a way, where either they would leave infants out for exposure or they would just cast elderly women into the woods. And then either through rage or grief, these women would become Yababas after practicing black magic. The other way that you can make a Yamuba is when a younger woman is accused of a crime and wicked deeds, and either she flees into the forest to escape punishment or she is exiled from her town. There's a sort of transformation process she's seen as a negative figure because she's supposed to be a boogie woman but i i kind of see it as like this forest witch glow up because the big thing about forest witches especially like these boogie woman figures is that they are used as like monstrous betrayals of female fecundity i might went on a tangent for a second because the abject horror that these women usually have bodily is the process of what happens after a woman has had too many kids well not too many but like after she has quote unquote fulfilled her purpose in a patriarchal society because you figure her breasts are sagged and old she's not the youthful hot little thing uh just cobwebs everywhere because she can't push a baby out and if she can't have kids what the fuck is she good for so you have these old haggard women that are just tossed away and you are and oftentimes in a lot of traditions you have your baba yagas you have your yamobas you have your wicked witches that are just like these old women are no longer useful because they're just these unfuckable old hags and so they devoted their life to darkness which is a whole commentary on you know the youth culture and you know everybody having to be young and it's like it's a whole big tangent lots of tangent holy shit okay um anyway back on track i have a lot of thoughts about forest witches uh partially due to the fact of i just want to be one and even though i'm currently a man in his 
late 20s, so I don't think I can be a unfuckable old hag yet, but... Someday. So, Yokai Watch. Um, I've picked two for this one, because the sort of thing is you want this, like, boogie woman, this negative emotion-causing Yokai. So I have chosen the sister pair of Dismerelda and Drenchetta. They are sisters. And this is one of those interesting little things where in the lore of Yokai Watch, both of these women, well, both of these were women. They used to be human women, and through the harsh negative emotions of something that happened to them in life, they transformed into Yokai after death. Um, this works with sort of the malleability of Yokai because a vengeful spirit is called an onryo, which sounds terrible in my American accent, and I'm sorry, Japan, for butchering your language. Um, but like, so these vengeful spirits turned into yokai, and in this game, you have these two sisters who specialize in bringing negative emotions. Uh, Drenchetta is said to, quote, dampen any mood she is with whereas Dismerelda is to darken them. Uh, quote, Trouble, terrible things are bound to happen if the two sisters are together. Uh, they are also, um, in a fun little note, uh, in Japanese, the uh, name for Dismerelda is also a play on words for the derogatory term for a woman who wears too much makeup. Because sometimes you just need to kick them while they're down. I have a lot of feelings about Yamaba, apparently. Uh, for the uh, Pokemon comparison, I chose Jinx. This is a humanoid Pokemon, number 124. Uh, it is a variety that also only have female Pokemon. It's their ice-type Pokemon as well. Uh, in Pokemon Sword, it talks about the fact that, quote, in certain parts of Galar... Uh, Jinx was once feared and worshipped as the Queen of Ice. However, there is a bit of a sadness to uh, Jinx as a Pokemon, which could also lead to the tragic way that uh, Yamambas are made. Uh, in Pokemon Silver, the Pokedex says, quote, It speaks a language similar to that of humans. However, it seems we are... It seems to use dancing as a means of communicating. Um, in Diamond and Pearl... The Pokedex says, its cries sound like human speech, however, it is impossible to figure out what they are saying. Which is uh, kind of sad that there's this humanoid woman that's trying to speak. Uh, Jinx is also incredibly problematic because there's a whole episode and uh, a little bit where the coloration of Jinx is uh, off, um, and uh, she essentially looked like a uh, negative stereotype for African. Uh, and then that was remedied in later games by uh, changing her skin from black to purple. Uh, the next yokai on our docket is the Inugami, uh, or Inukami. Uh, these are white dog spirits. Uh, they are uh, similar to like minor Shintoist gods. Uh, they are often actually depicted wearing either um, Sekien depicts them in a Shinto. Uh, garb because i can't think of, not costume 
uniform. Uh, but they're more, uh, they're usually dressed up like Buddhists. Um, they are also a uh, form of uh, familiar for sorcerers. Uh, which is where things can get a bit hairy. Uh, oftentimes, uh, sorcerers would uh, use spirits like Inugami or uh, Kitsune or um, Tanuki because of their ability to transform. Uh, but Inugami were used when uh, you couldn't really get a fox that easily, so it's just easier to have a dog because dogs are a lot easier to uh, keep than a fox. And since the Inugami are incredibly loyal, you know, that loyalty of a dog, you can actually pass that spirit down through a family line. And as long as the Inugami isn't severely mistreated during its servitude, uh, it will uh, continue to say. Um, okay, uh, this is also where I'm going to stick in the second trigger warning. Uh, because I'm going to discuss the process in which you make an Inugami, and there is some minor animal abuse, so this is another section where you might want to skip ahead about a minute and a half to two minutes, just to be safe. So, the way to make an Inugami, you have to start, uh, it requires the head of a starved dog. Uh, the way to do this often was to chain the dog up, uh, to keep it away from food, or to bury it up to its neck so that it uh, just kind of stuck in a hole. And then as the dog reached the apex right before it died, you cut off its head and mummify it. From then, you take the mummified dog head and you put it underneath you bury it in a crossroads, particularly a busy one, so that the uh, head is constantly being walked over by people, causing more distress and panic to the dog's spirit until it transforms into the Onryo. Once the Onryo has been created, you then take that dog's head and perform a ritual and give it an additional layer of ceremonial wrappings and you keep it in your house as a fetish. Quick side note, because it's very important. A fetish in religious aspects is not a priest kink. We are talking about an object that is used for ritual and worship. Um, for example, uh, likening it to something in the Christian tradition, a crucifix could be considered a fetish. Um, it looking at it's it's not just a sex thing. They they're not doing anything sexual to this mummified dog head. It is just it is a religious fetish. And I hate the words religious fetish together because it just sounds like someone who wants to fuck a nun. Um or like in the beginning of Bayonetta when she's dressed up in that slutty nun outfit. But it's not. Fetishes are an actual thing. <laughs> They're an actual thing in both methods, but there's a religious fetish. And then there's the sexual fetish. And the, none of this is about the sexual fetish. I can't stress that point enough. <laughs> anyway. 
So the uh, Pokemon that I have chosen to represent in Inugami is Absol, Pokemon number 359. It is a misunderstood Pokemon, often uh, seen as a herald of disaster. However, this white dog-like Pokemon uh, actually just has a sense. It can see or like sense when crises are going to happen. Um, and it tries to help humans. In the Pokedex for Pokemon Sun, it says, quote, Long ago, superstitions were spread about this Pokemon, saying that it brought disaster. This fed a hatred of it, and it was then driven into the mountains. Uh, in the sister com or companion, different flavor version of the game, Pokemon Moon, uh, quote, Although it is said to bring disaster, it actually, this Pokemon possesses a calm disposition and warns people of any crises that loom near. Um, showing that even though it's treated terribly, it is still trying to be loyal, just like the original dog spirit. Um, they also, it's also a little bittersweet uh, while I was looking up stuff about Absol, because uh, in the Pokedex entry for the Mega Evolution, a mechanic that was started in Pokemon X and Y, uh, and then uh, quickly fucked off, um, in Pokemon Sun, the Mega Evolution entry is normally it dislikes fighting, so it really hates changing into this form for battle. And it's like, cool. And it's kind of like that Inugami thing of like, it does, it just wants to help. Stop being mean to this dog, damn it. Uh, the Yokei Watch comparison is uh, Pinky Poo, which. The Eng the, uh, I should have said this so much earlier, but this is the first real obnoxious one. The English names for the yokai and yokai watch are fucking terrible. They're, most of them are puns, which, in my personal opinion, are a very low form of comedy. Uh, I don't care what you think. Um, if you like puns and they're good for you, okay. I don't. I'm the one with the microphone, so I don't care what you think, um, if you're angry with me. Um, so, Pinky Poo is a yokai that resembles a dog. It's dressed up like a Shinto priest, and it uh, uses its loyalty to the yokai, the person who's made it its friend, as in Yokai Watch you're not like a tr you don't train these yokai you are their friend and so it uses its cube powers to help the those it considers its friend in the one of the o overarching stories of yokai watch there is a person who's trying to take over both the yokai and human worlds and he has a pure white pinky poo um, which harkens to the fact that um, there was often the uh, evil sorcerers were more likely to make Inugami because of the uh, horrific means of which it took to create one. So this next yokai is a uh, personal favorite of mine. This is the Nekomata. Because uh, I'm a cat person. Granted, I don't believe anybody should do uh, part of the ritual that I described earlier to make um, an Inugami, uh, 
be nice to your animals. I like animals more than people, but I'm a cat person. And uh, a very way back when I was first conceptualizing this podcast, um, and I might still do it, so I don't want to completely take this idea off the table, uh, but mythological cats has always been just a note that I've had, just waiting and raring to go. Uh, it could be a lore dump episode, just historian tries to remember as many mythological cats as they can. But um, the Nekomata is a type of cat spirit. Uh, also, um, it's a like subclass of uh, cat spirits known as Baka Nekos, those transforming cats. Um, the Nekomata is one of those cats where it is believed that once a cat reaches the ripe age of 100, um, it begins to walk upright, have the ability to mimic or even gain human speech, and its tail splits in half into two tails. Uh, oftentimes, these uh, two tails are depicted by having tiny flames at their end. Um, the cats, they're usually associated with a fire um, because um, in olden traditions, not even traditions, just back when you had to use a lot more animal products and synthetics weren't as readable, uh, sardine oil was very good in lamps. Uh, and although fish oil can be very good for you, I believe it's helpful for your memory. If it is, it's ironic that I don't remember what the fuck fish oil is good for other than your memory. I think it's also good for your heart. It's got like those omega-3s or something. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Um, but cats love fish. Um, so one of the theories on what could have uh, created the concept of a Nekomata is someone uh, in a room lit by lamplight looking over and seeing a large cat-like figure kind of whose shape is hazy but can see two tails uh, because the cat's probably uh, drinking your lamp oil. Um, Nekomata are the uh, are extremely malicious in most traditions uh, even more so than certain other types of Bakeneko um, like the I don't know the Japanese term for it but the fortune cat is a type of bakeneko, the ones that are often depicted. I'm doing the hand motion, which is helpful for no one, um, where it's got like the one paw up and then you can get those ones that have like the hinge where it like lowers the paw and opens it up and it's got like the big cat corn. Those cute little bastards. Um, but uh, Nekomata, not as friendly. Um, they are often uh, said to kill their owners um, and drink their blood. And then uh, when other people come around, uh, they will either mimic their speech and do like corpse puppets um, where they'll like walk them around with like weird puppetry. Or uh, because it's a no it's now a Nekomata and eh, you know, why live to a hundred years if you don't know any magic? Um, they'll use necromancy to uh, control their owners so that they don't get found out. Uh, they're uh, rad as fuck, and uh, you can often get them in 
uh, Shin Megami Tensei games, uh, usually around levels uh, 15 to 20. Shout out to the Shin Megami Tensei franchise, uh, one that I will probably refer to in future episodes of this, because uh, this is not going to be the only episode I do on Yokai, because it's a incredibly large tradition that I could do. You could do an entire podcast on them, honestly, but... Um, I don't have the resources and knowledge to do so. So, um, the Yokai Watch uh, version of Anekomata is actually a very interesting one because the uh, main mascot of Yokai Watch, the Pikachu of its Pokemon, is a cat character known as Jibanyan. This is a red cat. Uh, with its two tails, uh, flames at the top of each tail, it's got a notch in one ear, and it is the face of the franchise. Um, it has it evolves throughout the game. It can learn different moves, and on top of that, there is so many different varieties of Japanians that you can get. Um, just the there's just whole swaths of cat yokai. Um, like, for example, in the first game, you have Jibanyan. If you There's this process you can get called Yokai Fusion, where if you fuse two Yokai together, you can get a new one. Uh, you can fuse it and a Yokai called a Riff Raff, which is based off of uh, a Japanese delinquent or a Yankee. Uh, and it turns into Bad Dan, which is just... Uh, Oh god, what's his name? John Travolta. Yeah, so uh, John Travolta's character in Greece, if it was a purple cat with two tails, that's what that cat turns into, and it's um, it's a bit much. So Jibanyan in the game is the main character. Uh, he is actually technically uh, partially an Onryo, because what happens is in his story. Uh, spoilers for Yokai Watcher. Um, this is like chapter like one or two when this happens, so it's very early on in the game, and it ma they actually make you relive this in Yokai Watch Two, which is uh, super fucking sad. Um, you uh, so Jibanyan was a regular house cat who was hit by a passing truck, and the way he remembers it is his owner, which was a young girl named Amy, comes over and says how useless of a cat he was for getting hit by a car. Uh, in the second game, you find out that that memory is false, which is a very nice and also very sad. Uh, but you find Jibanyan at that same intersection, constantly trying to fight cars. Um, which he never does successfully. Um, Uh, his name, so in, he's one of the characters where they kind of kept a lot of the Japanese for his name, uh, because you have, his name is a combination of two words, the first one is Jimba Kyurei, which is a ghost that is specifically trapped to a certain location, um, which is similar to um, some of the more modern western tradi traditions of ghosts, where it's like, something bad happens to you and you are stuck at that spot uh, like uh, the haunting of hill house which is uh, a great tv netflix show and also a book by uh what the fuck was her name i'm gonna google it real quick because i want to give credit where credit is due i believe it was a short story 
before. Uh, there's also that other. Okay, who wrote the book? See, the downside of a um, major book being made into a TV show is when you Google Haunting of Hill House, everything is about the fucking Netflix show. Uh, but Haunting of Hill House uh, is written by Shirley Jackson. There we go. Uh, you can get it uh, online um, for various pricings. Um, if you uh, support a local bookshop or indie seller, you can. Uh, God, I've done a lot of tangents this episode. Holy shit. Anyway, um, so yeah, so Jimakurai goes to the toilet uh, on a spot. And Nyan, N-Y-A-N, which is the Japanese onomatopoeia for the sound of a cat's meow. Um, it's one of those really interesting things as you look at different cultures, uh, how they have... You think some things are like ubiquitous where it's like, obviously everybody knows what a cat sounds like, but like everybody has that little weird way of telling it. Um, I would make my cat say something, but she's currently sleeping on my bed and angry at me because I have not given her 8 million pets since I've gotten home. Okay, the Pokemon that I've chosen that I think best fits the Nekomata is Meowth. Number 52. Uh, this cat takes on multiple forms, which is sort of the shape-shifting quality of the Bake Neko. It's got the uh, Alolan form, which is uh, this sort of like gray, lazy fat cat because it was loved by Alolan royalty. Then you have the Galarian version, uh, where they are more like the um, Scottish wild cats uh, that were often taken on Viking voyages. That's really, that's their, it's even said in the Pokedex entries, I didn't write down that one specifically, but it's like they gain steel typing because they got used to the rough and tough lifestyles of living on the sea. Uh, Meowths are also, uh, as shown in the show, one of the few Pokemon who are fully capable of learning human speech and having human intelligence, because you have that one Meowth from Team Rocket who just never shuts the fuck up. Um, in uh, Pokemon Shield, the Alolan Meowth is the one that kind of shows the ruthlessness of the Necromata, where, quote, Deeply proud and keenly smart, this Pokemon moves with cunning during battle and relentlessly attacks the enemy's weak points. And uh, that's some um, mean cat shit if I've ever seen it, um, which is just also super fun because cats are great. Um, dogs are fine. I don't want to. I'm not one of those cat people who is very anti-dog, um, but uh, go cats. So the last yokai for today's episode and part one of this series, um, because there's just, there's so many yokai, um, is another one of the very ubiquitous and famous ones. This one is known as the Kappa. Kappas are river-dwelling beasts who um, are around the size of small children. Uh, they are traditionally shown with uh, duck bills having like a turtle shell on the back 
wearing some ratty like loincloth and they have a saucer on top of their head full of water um they are famously uh easily uh bribable with cucumbers um in some traditions uh leaving cucumbers by the riverbank uh is um a way to appease them as like minor river gods and hoping for the proper flooding of the river brink which can help crops grow getting that like rich fer uh, soil um it was a practice also really commonly used by like ancient egyptians because you get that that good mud that's got all like the river nutrients in it and you use that to help plant your soil and it helps the your crop yield um, it is also another yokai that can learn human speech, and uh, it often uses, it says, uh, often to trick kids. <laughs> um, they are very proud and stubborn, but they are also, uh, very, like, true to their word. They will never break a promise. Uh, here's the part where things get a smidge crass, uh, because there's a lot of lore about butts when it comes to the kappa so in some depictions of the kappa it is said that they contain three anuses so that they can fart more because they need to um there's also um the kind of little crass little bastard things where like it is said that um if they wish to be nuisances on land they'll uh walk into religious ceremonies or weddings and just start farting um they also sometimes they'll uh, just kind of look up women's dresses uh, just to be little shits uh they uh also are some of the yokai who uh, are known to eat humans specifically they're looking uh to eat humans anuses because there is a special um life <coughs> excuse me a kind of a source of life that is kept around the colon known as the shiri kodama and that's really what the kappa are after they want to consume that part of our life essence um i don't know if a kappa can toss your ass uh, toss your salad like your name romaine um it would probably be hard to do so since they have duck bills but a lot of ass play when it comes to your uh kappa um it's one of the ideas of how the more monstrous form of the kappa came about is that they um in they're often found in streams and sometimes you have those spots in streams where like the current gets very strong and it's rather deep and it kind of just like sucks you down underneath and uh what better way to keep your kids out of there than a, a gross little monster that'll eat your ass if you do i mean unless you're into that thing i'm, I'm not here to discount room jobs god this episode got weird <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, the saucer on top of uh, Kappa's head is uh, their life essence. Um, 
some say that if you drink out of it, it can give you immortality. Um, it, if it goes dry, it can paralyze or even just completely kill a Kappa. And uh, one of the ways to uh, disarm one is as you're running away from a Kappa, you're supposed to about face and bow. Because since they're incredibly proud creatures, they'll bow back and they'll tip the water out of their head. And uh, that will immobilize them so that you can get away. Uh, this is another one where the Yokai Watch ver uh, parallel is a lot better than the Pokemon parallel because the Yokai Watch actually have Kappas. Uh, they have Walk Kappa, Apak, and Supio, are the uh, trio of Kappa Yokai in the game. Walk Kappa is one that you deal with directly. Um, in the first game, you actually uh, get him through progressing the story. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, Wakappa helps you get, you befriend it so you can get something out of a lake. Um, it's half um, teaching you the fishing mechanic and half um, letting you know that it, you can cert, um, you can find yokai by water sources. And um, they kind of flip the mold because traditionally Kappa uh, don't try to go too far from their water source half so that their water bowl doesn't dry on top of their head and half because it's hard for them to travel on land but in this case Wah Kappa uh, uses a little water bottle to keep its head moist so that it can go on adventures um, Kappa are also associated with the art of sumo wrestling and it is said that as they grow older, they become more distinguished fighters, and it's you're better off. You can probably fight off a baby Kappa, like, but once you get to an adult one, you really need to use some of that trickery and those bowing tricks to get away from it. So Apak, uh, which is the evolved form of Wakappa, and Supio, which is the palette swap one, uh, both have like water-like swords that they use to fight with, and also if emergency needs it, uh, they can fill their head cup with it. My best bet for War Turtle, uh, poke, oops, spoiler, uh, for Pokemon is War Turtle, Pokemon number eight. Uh, you've got kind of that part turtle, part other creature because it's got that weird flowy tail. Um, it also it is said that war turtles have a hard time walking on land and prefer to use, uh, stay in freshwater sources. Uh, but they're also tremendous fighters. In the Pokedex for Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, quote, the scratches on its shell are evidence of the Pokemon's toughness as a battler. Um, it's hard to think about war turtle as the real battle one because everybody knows the best one in the squirtle line you're just trying to get to that blastoise with the big fuck off cannons but uh war turtle don't sell it out all right everyone that's gonna do it for this first episode of yokai uh comparative yokai i guess i'll call this little series um, let me know what you guys think. You can uh, contact me uh, via Instagram. I am uh, swampcleric96, or you can uh, message me on TikTok. I am white trash historian. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I plan on doing more. I'm not going to do the same games each time. 
um, just because that will get uh, very old very quickly. Um, once again, I would like to reiterate uh, uh, my apologies for pronunciation and that in no way, because this got a little weird sometimes, was this meant to insult, make fun of, make light of a tradition, because there are still people who practice these traditions today, and uh, I deeply respect and find them uh, incredibly fascinating, because monsters are cool as hell. Um, monsters are just a fun thing to study, and I think if I were to uh, take the leap and go back to school and uh, graduate from being a millennial with a bachelor's and maybe try to be a millennial with a master's, I would definitely try to get my master's in uh, some sort of like monster study because, I don't know, it's that Marge Simpson meme. I just think they're neat. But yeah, uh, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Um, I would have had it out uh, yesterday, or rather two days ago because this probably isn't going to come out till Tuesday um you're, you're listening to this on uh Tuesday um I would have had it out Monday but my computer decided to uh hate everything um yeah I'll see you guys some point next week with a new episode it won't be yokai part two probably it'll be something different but uh don't worry yokai part two is already in the works uh, there's plenty 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 to go through and uh, yeah, uh, I hope you guys have a good day, and I'll talk to you soon. Also, because I know you didn't fucking listen to me. Hi, Mom. <laughs>